For those, uh, those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Caleb Garnett. I'm the youth and young adult minister here in Craig's in Oklahoma this week, so I have the honor of getting to bring God's word to you this morning, and I'm super excited to be here. Uh, but it's not the only thing I'm really excited about this week. One thing I'm really, really excited for is Thanksgiving. Uh, super excited for this week, because uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite day of the entire year. I look forward to that meal all year round. It's the best day of the year, and that's part of why I'm so passionate about Christmas waiting its turn. It, it, needs, it needs to wait its turn. I'm, it needs to be said. Uh, I'm really passionate about that, and I think my wife is just excited to finally put up the Christmas decorations this week. That's, but uh, I'm excited for Thanksgiving. I honestly think Thanksgiving is just about as close as you can get to a perfect day. You have the three F's. You have family, football, and food. I mean, that's, what more can you ask for? I honestly think that's the best thing ever. Uh, And Thanksgiving, uh, like many other holidays, comes with its traditions and things that we love to do. So if you're anything like me, you had traditions on Thanksgiving. It's just, like you may say, it's just not Thanksgiving unless I wake up and I watch the parade. Or it's just not Thanksgiving unless the Lions lose a football game. That's... It's true. It may, it may change this year, but that it really feels like Thanksgiving when the Lions lose a game. That's, uh, <laughs> but one other thing that really makes it feel like Thanksgiving is when we sit down to dinner, uh, typically my mom would have us do this. You probably do this or did this. A lot of you probably do uh, in your homes. You go around the table, and everyone has to say at least one thing that they're thankful for. One thing they're thankful for. That's what we did uh, growing up. And this forced us as a family and as individuals to reflect back on our entire year and think about what were we thankful for, one thing that we're thankful for. And sometimes that was kind of hard to do uh, because, you know, you had, people take the cliche answers. They take, oh, thankful for my family, thankful for food, thankful for friends. And when you got past that, you had to think a little harder. Uh, but I think this is a wonderful tradition to have. I think giving thanks on Thanksgiving is, that's what it's all about. We should do that. Uh, But it got me thinking, how often do we take time to be intentionally thankful outside of Thanksgiving Day? Do we often go beyond one day a year when it comes to our thankfulness? You know, when it comes to thanking God for everything he's done for us, do we just stop at that one day or do we go beyond that? And do we take time to give thanks regardless of what's happening in our life? Do we thank God when things are going well and everything seems to be just fantastic working out for us? Or do we thank God in the hard times? Do we thank God when our year has been difficult? Because like I said, sometimes it's hard to remember what we're thankful for after those cliche answers are gone. Because maybe you had a really difficult year or you're going through something really difficult. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's anything to be thankful for. So for me, you know, I had those years when we were going through difficult times and I didn't feel like there had been a whole lot to be thankful for that year. But I, so I needed to remind myself of all the ways that God had worked in my life that past year. All the ways God had actively moved in my life. I think we all need to do that. And so that's what I want to focus on today. How can we live a life of thankfulness by remembering what God has done for us. 
So today I want to take us to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. And this is where we'll take a look at what it really means, th- uh, what it means to live a life of thanksgiving through remembrance. Uh, so the book of Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And this particular letter is a part of a collection of letters known as the prison epistles. These were letters that Paul wrote uh, when he was in Roman custody. He was in jail when he wrote these letters. And that's really important to set the context for what Paul is going to say here in these verses. So the first thing that Paul says in verse 4 is this. He says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So the first thing that I want us to remember about thankfulness is that it's a lifestyle. Being thankful is not something we only do on Thanksgiving Day. We're called to be grateful even if we're not sitting around a table of food with our friends and our family, even if we're not stuffing ourselves with mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing. We're called to give thanks regardless. Paul reminds us here that we're called to give thanks through We're called to give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. And at first glance, this may seem like something that is honestly impossible to do. It may seem impossible. But you're going through, you may be going through something extremely difficult right now in your life. You may say, I don't see how there's any way that I can be thankful or that I can be joyful, like Paul says, in my circumstance, in the trial that I'm facing. You say, you don't understand what I'm going through. I can't be joyful. I can't be grateful. Well, Robert Leitner, in his commentary on the book of uh, Philippians, he says this. He said, sometimes the trials and pressures of life make it almost impossible to be happy. But Paul did not tell his readers to be happy He encouraged them to rejoice in the Lord. Surely there are many circumstances in which Christians cannot be happy, but they can always rejoice in the Lord and delight in him. You see, thankfulness and joyfulness, like Paul's talking about, and then happiness, those are two very different things. Those are very different things. Rejoicing is something that should always be happening in our life as believers. Paul says rejoice always always. And he doesn't actually use the word thankfulness in this verse, but I believe that they go hand in hand. Because I don't know about you, but I find it awfully difficult to rejoice when I'm not being thankful. And I find it really hard to be thankful if I'm not rejoicing. They go together. You can't separate them. But that doesn't mean it's always easy to rejoice and always easy to give thanks. It's not. Because our human circumstances change quite a bit in our day-to-day lives. And sometimes being thankful is extremely difficult. But it's so, so important. You know, modern science even recognizes this, that it's important to be grateful in our lives, whether you're a Christian or not. Gratefulness is actually really important for us as humans. Uh, In an article that was written for Psychology Today, uh, Michelle Tugade, I think I'm pronouncing that right, she's a psychology professor. She specializes in research about using positive emotions in the coping process. And she said this about why having gratitude, even in challenging times in life, is so important. She said, there are two main reasons why gratitude helps us replenish in times of stress. First, gratitude is the acknowledgement of goodness in one's life 
thereby affirming that life has elements that make it worth living. Second, gratitude is recognizing that the source of this goodness is at least partially outside the self. Now, I would change the quote a little bit, uh, the ending of it, to say that the source of goodness is completely outside of ourself, because the Bible makes it clear that there's nothing good about us as people apart from God. But I think her point still stands. We need to realize that there is goodness outside of our circumstances. Right? That one bad thing that happened to you last week, if you had a bad day at work, that doesn't mean your whole life is terrible and your whole life is awful. Right? The current trial that you're facing doesn't define your life. It doesn't mean there's nothing to be grateful for. I know often as people we like to say, my life is terrible. Nothing good ever happens to me because it's so easy to focus on that one bad thing. I'm guilty of that. I like to focus in on that bad thing that happened. And I like to milk it. You know, I've heard somewhere... Uh, a quote, I don't remember where I heard this, but they said, did you really have a bad day or did you have a bad 30 seconds and you milked it all day? Because honestly, that I, I do that a lot. I do that a lot. But there's goodness that exists outside of our circumstances. And as Christians, we know the source of that goodness is God. He's a God who never changes. Because our circumstances are going to change a lot. But God never will. And this is something that Paul recognized as he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. At this time in his life, he was in chains for his faith. But he knew he served a faithful God who is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. Paul was able to remain thankful and joyful in his circumstances despite being imprisoned. And how was he able to do that? See, what was his secret to remaining thankful even in the direst of circumstances. So he elaborates that on that in Philippians 4, 6, where he says this. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. In some translations of this verse will say, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But for the purposes of this message, I liked the way that the New Living Translation put it when it said, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So as believers, the second thing I want us to remember is that we are called to give thanks through remembrance. Because remembrance, remembering what God has done is the easiest way for us to remain thankful as believers. Because it's not always easy, like I said, to remain thankful. Thankfulness is not our default setting as humans. We tend to revert to the complaining side and looking, like I said, looking at the bad thing that happened and focusing in on that. And we see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Uh, So one place that I want to take a look at is the story of Israel. Because they... Uh, struggled at times with thankfulness, uh, just to put it lightly, you know. So I want to take us back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, God has just used Moses to bring the people out of slavery in Egypt. And the Israelites were enslaved for roughly 400 years. And they're crying out to God to deliver them. And God hears their prayers, and God sends Moses And he delivers the people out of bondage in Egypt. And you would think that this would result 
in nothing but an outpouring of rejoicing and thankfulness. Uh, but that's not the case. Their thankfulness was pretty short-lived. The people of Israel so quickly forgot to give thanks to the Lord for what he had done, and they focused solely on their circumstance. So we see this in Exodus 16, 1 through 3. It says, Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. This has only been two months removed from them being freed from 400 years of slavery. And they're already complaining against Moses and Aaron because of their circumstances. See, they wish they could have been left in Egypt to die there under the ruthless hand of the Egyptians rather than being led into the wilderness. You know, it got to cut them a little bit of slack because that wilderness is nothing to laugh about. I mean, it's pretty harsh out there, but compared to 400 years of slavery, you'd think they'd be a little more grateful. Right? They so quickly forgot everything the Lord had done for them in Egypt. He had performed miracles. He had sent the plagues. He delivered their firstborn from death through the very first Passover meal. He parted the Red Sea and brought them through on dry land. But none of that seems to matter to them here. All they can focus on is their empty stomachs. They're saying, we're going to die. They seem to forget that God has provided for them in so many ways. So these Israelites really could have used Paul's instruction to not worry about anything. Right? They allowed their worry about their current situation to take their focus off of what God had just done for them. And as I read this passage, the phrase that popped into my head was, what have you done for me lately? Right? This is a phrase that uh, people use a lot in our modern world. And the thing that came to my mind once I thought of this phrase was professional sports. If you follow professional sports, you know that all of them have a very what-have-you-done-for-me-lately attitude. Uh, particularly, I really follow the NFL, so that's where my mind went. Uh, and I was scrolling through Instagram the other day, and I came across a post about football, and it said, do you remember these players? And it was a list of different players that were relatively recent, uh, but weren't in the league anymore. One of them was Jarvis Landry. If you know... Jarvis Landry uh, was one of the top receivers in the NFL just a few years ago. He played for the Browns and the Dolphins, and most recently the Saints. And I got thinking, yeah, whatever happened to that guy? He was really good. And so I Googled him and pulled up his stats, and apparently he was in the league last year, but he only played a few games uh, with the Saints, and now he's not even on an NFL roster, which surprised me because just about two years ago, he was one of the top receivers in the NFL, but... That's a business where they say, if you haven't done something for me lately, you're out. We'll move on to the next guy. You're, we're done with you. And professional sports, things move that fast. Any, any professional sport business, or it doesn't have to be professional. It could be your high school team, right? They say, hey, you got injured. Next man up, you're, you're done. And sometimes it's understandable in the sports world to say, okay, you need to move on and, and keep things going. But unfortunately, as Christians— we so often forget 
just as quickly as they do in professional sports. We tend to forget about what God has done for us. God will move in our life in an amazing way, but then our circumstances change, and we let all of these things that God has done for us be overshadowed by our current circumstances, and that's not the way we should be. We're called to be people who uh, remember what God has done and who live a lifestyle of thankfulness because of those things. But thankfully, the people of Israel, while they are an example of what not to do, they also can be an example of what we should do. They don't always fail in every area. So they actually give us an excellent example of how we should live our life through remembrance. Uh, In Joshua chapter 4, we find Israel right after they finally enter the land of Canaan. They've been in the wilderness wandering for 40 years because of their complaining, because they forgot to be thankful. And they finally enter the land of Canaan. God has again dried up the Jordan River and allowed them to cross into the land that he promised them. And Joshua, the leader of the people at this time, gives them instructions on how they are to remember this event. So in Joshua 4, 19 through 24, we read this. It says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask your fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, Joshua intentionally had the people of Israel set up a marker that they could physically look back on to remember what God had done for them, how he had brought them into the land that he had promised them. And as believers today, we should also have these moments in our lives that we look back on to recall all that God has done for us. Henry Blackaby, who's a well-known evangelical pastor, you may know for his study, Experiencing God, that's probably what he's most well-known for, uh, he had this to say about why Israel set up these markers in their lives. He says this, The Israelites experienced a tumultuous pilgrimage. Their doubt that God was powerful enough to give them victory cost them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then God miraculously parted the waters of the Jordan River so they could pass over and continue their conquest. God knew that at times Israel would be facing intimidating enemies and would need a reminder that he was powerful enough to protect them. The Israelites might be tempted to think they'd made a mistake entering Canaan. And for this reason, God instructed them to build a monument on the banks of the Jordan River. And this is the part of the quote that I really want us to focus in on. He says, Whenever they return to this spot, they would see the monument and be reminded of God's awesome power. This marker would give them confidence to meet the new challenges they faced. And a spiritual marker for us may not be an actual pile of stones. Uh, It may be a moment in your life when you knew God was guiding you, or a moment that you knew God was there for you. So it could be the moment you came to faith. That could be a spiritual marker in your life. It could be a time in your life when you had to make a really difficult decision, and then you saw God work that out for your good. It could be a moment when you made a commitment to something important in your life. Right? Like it could be a marriage. I could look back in the day I got married to Shelby. It could be the birth of a child. 
Or, you know, it could be a difficult thing that happened in your life where you say, you know what, that was really hard, but now I see that God worked that out for good. And regardless of uh, what these moments are, they should always remind us that God is working in our lives, and we should set up spiritual markers in our lives. See, just as Israel would need reminders to be grateful of God's power when they faced enemies and trials of various kinds, we also need that reminder, right? We're not going into battle against actual people with swords and things like that, but we still face trials and we still face battles in our lives. So I would encourage every person here today to go home and make a list of the spiritual markers in your lives. Think about the times when you know that God was working in your life and never forget to be thankful for those things. I encourage you, if you're a parent, like, do this with your kids as well. Have them write down moments when they know God was working in their life. This would be a powerful, uh, powerful exercise. This is something that I want to do myself. And setting up spiritual markers for us is so important because thankfulness results in our peace. So as we continue in the passage in Philippians, we come to verse 7. Philippians 4, 7, Paul says this, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is something that we so desperately need in this world today. People are experiencing stress and anxiety at unprecedented levels. According to the American Psychological Association, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, the average adult in America rates their stress level at a 4.9. And these levels of stress only increase when you go into the younger generations. Uh, Gen Z currently rates their average stress level at a 5.3. And millennials, my generation, rated at a 5.7. And I can, I can tell you, I get it. I understand as a millennial. Because anxiety is one of the top mental health battles that people face in the world today. In a recent study conducted by the Barna Group, they discovered that half of U.S. 18 to 35-year-olds expressed anxiety over important decisions and were afraid to fail. So there's never been a greater need in our country, a greater need in our world for peace than we're seeing today. But thankfully, the kind of peace which is offered to us through our lifestyle of thankfulness in Philippians is not a peace that... uh, is temporary. It's not the kind of peace that we experience just in our everyday human lives. It's a peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But the peace only comes after we do these other things that Paul's talked about. Uh, Again, in his commentary on Philippians, Robert Leitner says, when the exhortations of verses 4 through 6 are heeded, the peace of God will flood one's troubled soul. See, according, uh, the peace comes through a lifestyle of prayer and thankfulness is what he's saying. Prayer and thankfulness. We must remember first what God's done for us. Like I said, we set up those spiritual markers in our lives as things we look back on to remember what God has done. And it's only when we've done these things that God's peace will truly guard our hearts and our minds. And the word that Paul uses for guard here in Philippians uh, is a military term. It means like a garrison. 
So the soldiers in Philippi would have been surrounding the city. Picture kind of a square. They would have surrounded it completely and kept that city safe. That's what Paul's talking about. The peace of God surrounds our heart so nothing else can get in. The anxiety and the worry can't get in. Like Paul said, don't worry about anything. And when we have God's peace, that worry can't, can't affect us. See, our thoughts and our emotions, they're kept safe through God's peace, which I think is really interesting because those are one of the, some of the first things that Satan wants to attack. He wants to attack our hearts and our minds. And I don't think that as believers, we often equate our thankfulness with our mental or emotional state. But that seems to be exactly what Paul is saying here, that our mental state, our emotional state, it's affected by our thankfulness. We have that peace. So maybe this is what we need more of in our world as the mental health battle just continues to increase. People are more anxious than ever. We need God's peace. We need to be thankful for what God has done in our lives. Stop focusing on our human circumstances and put our eyes back on Jesus. And that all sounds good, but how do we really live this lifestyle on a day-to-day basis? Because you may go home and you may write down this list. You may end up putting it in a drawer and closing it and forgetting that you ever wrote it down. You know, I think we do that a lot in, in America. We tend to kind of move on quickly and, and forget about these things. So how do we stop from doing that? You know, we talked about setting up the spiritual markers, but how do we really focus in on them more than just the one day in the year? Well, Paul wraps up this portion of Philippians by telling us just that. In verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So these are the kinds of things that Paul wants his listeners to focus on, to focus their minds on. He doesn't want us to be focusing on our circumstances and our anxiety. He says, focus on these things. And the first thing Paul says here is focus on what you know to be true. Because Satan, in contrast, he wants us to focus on untruths. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants us to focus on what's wrong in our lives. Or he wants us to think about all those times in our lives when God has seemingly let us down. When we say, God, where were you when this happened? God, if you really loved me, you would have acted in this way. These are the things Satan wants us to be focused in on as believers. He doesn't want us to be focused in on the truth of God. He wants us to doubt the goodness of God. Like we talked about earlier, we see that there's goodness outside of our human circumstance and our human situations. But Satan wants us to doubt that goodness and say, God's not really there for you. God's not good. God doesn't love you. Paul says, focus on whatever is true. What do we know is true about God? Well, we know that God is unchanging. We know that God is love. We know that God is deliverer. We know that God is provider. And those are just a few things that God is. This list could go on and on and on. But these are the things we need to be remembering every day throughout our lives. So we need to exchange the lies of Satan with what we know to be true about God. 
Because focusing on our earthly circumstances will just rob us of our thankfulness. And our human circumstances aren't always bad. We have good things that happen in our lives. Those are the things that we talk about on Thanksgiving. But if we focus too much on our earthly circumstances, it'll rob us of our joy. It'll rob us of our thankfulness. And in Colossians 3.2, a book that was also written by Paul, Paul reminds his readers to set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So this week, as you go out and you get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving with your friends and your families, I want you to remember this is not just one day of thankfulness. And while it's wonderful to give thanks on Thanksgiving, don't stop there. This is something that should be practiced every day of our lives. So go home and take time to set up spiritual markers in your life. Go make a list of the ways that you know God was moving all through your whole entire life. It could be your, you know, and you could focus in even more. You could just say, how in this last year have I seen God move? But how in my entire life have I seen God moving? And take the time to reflect on when God showed you he was all of these things that Paul lists in verse 8, right? When was God, did you see God as honorable? When did you see God as right? When did you see God as pure? When did you see God as lovely? When did you see him of good, of good repute? When did you see God being excellent? When did you see God being worthy of praise in your life? Those are the times we should focus in and say, that's what I'm going to make my spiritual markers. When I saw God being all of these things in my life. So this week, thank God for these things and just never fail to look back on them. Make your life a lifestyle of thanksgiving this year and in the years to come.